Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, it's time for Charitable Georgia. Brought to you by Bees Charitable Pursuits and Resources. We put the fun in fundraising. For more information, go to beescharitablepursuits.com. That's B-E-E-S charitablepursuits.com. Now, here's your host, Brian Pruitt. Good, fabulous Friday morning. It's another fabulous Friday. And we were off last week for the holiday weekend. I had to take my wife out of town because it was our wedding anniversary. So if I didn't take her, I was in trouble. So, And I know, Stone, you had a wedding, right? I did. We got them married off. Now they're down in Puerto Rico. It's kind of one of those hippy dippy weddings. That this one is my hippy dippy child, and they're they're at some place where they you know do the yoga and the whole bit. But uh, she was happy, and that's all that matters to go. me. So now both of them are married off. Is that correct? Oh yeah, I got two of them off the payroll over the last six nice. months. I got there such a go. raise. There you go. And we also want to wish everybody a happy donut National Donuts Day. There's some donuts out front, and uh, I don't know who brought those, but. I'm trying to make my girlish figure a little better, so I didn't take any. So, All right, like I said, we've got uh, three fabulous guests this morning. If you have not listened to Charitable Georgia before, this show is all about positivity and positive things happening in the community. And all three of my guests do something positive within the community. And so we're going to start this morning with Miss Kathy Springer from Springer Senior Solutions. Kathy, welcome. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm great. So um, we'll get into Springer Senior Solutions in just a minute. But you shared with me, uh, I guess, a few weeks ago, your story. And, and so if you don't mind, just share your story, why you are passionate in what you're doing. And then we'll talk about your business. So since I was a little girl, I kind of knew I had a big thing that I was supposed to do in the world. I, I kept feeling like service was my passion because I always had jobs in the service industry and I just always loved making people laugh and making people happy and I love to connect people. So in September of 2013, I've been in the insurance industry for 26 years this August and I was sitting at my desk and I said, all right, God, I'm ready. Where do you want me? With my hands together. And it was from September, uh, the beginning of September. By September 23rd, I walked away from my job and I was making very good money, um, but I just couldn't do it anymore and people were like well who does that I'm like a woman of faith I mean that was really my first time I put my hands in the air and said God guide me and I listened by February 14 I ended up in Georgia knowing not one person Um, he obviously knew I'm my name's Kathy so I can talk to anybody basically but you would never know I was shy up until fourth grade you're the second (laughs) chatty Kathy we've had on (laughs) but um, anyway I ended up in Georgia Um, I got connected to do Medicare Um, I love helping people people. I love helping seniors. Um, there's so much confusion and I clear that and you have to have patience with them. And believe it or not, I am from New York, but I I do have patience and I, I think that my patience was gained more here because you kind of have to be more patient in Georgia. Um, anybody that's not from here knows what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we're a little fast paced up in New York, but anyway, um, so I go to people's houses, I help them with their options and, and then I'm their person afterwards to guide them in, you know, what direction to go next or service them for any issues that come up, you know, in the future. I think it's awesome, especially that you're working with seniors. Cause that is one, I guess, uh, group that's always seemed to forgotten about, yeah. um, you know, these days. And it's, it's good to know that there's other folks out there who are continuing to look after for the, them. Um, can you share exactly what you're doing with them with the Medicare and how that works? 
So, yeah, um, Medicare open enrollment starts October 15th through December 7th. So anybody that's on Medicare is allowed to make a change if they're into something that they're not happy with or there's changes coming up with their prescriptions. I sit with them, go over the changes, make sure that their prescriptions are covered properly at a lower cost. If they're entitled to certain things like Medicaid, extra help to help offset those costs, I get them connected to those resources. Um, if they need help in their homes, if they need food, if they need uh you know, term, uh, bug control or whatever. I mean, I, if I have to pay attention, not just for the Medicare, I have to look at the big picture and see they need somebody. Like I'm dealing with a situation right now. One of the clients, I think she's depressed and I know she needs resources. So I'm trying to gather my resources to connect her to the right people to get in there and help her out. So uh, it's beyond just Medicare. Medicare just gets me in the door. So other than your, your passion to, for helping people that you talked about, why is it specifically seniors that you're passionate about? Well, like you said, I mean, they're, they get left behind, you know what I mean? Like people, everybody gets older and their, and their parents are older and it's not like to us, they're a burden, but they're just left by themselves and there's people that don't have anybody. So I want to be that person for them to get them. Like I've been to people's houses where they don't have anybody They have family or nobody. And I'm like, Hey, you need to go to the senior center and meet some people. And you know, there's somebody out there that needs to know you, not because you don't want to go and you're afraid. Somebody needs to meet you. There's a reason for that. So I just, I, it's just, I don't know. I just, it's in my heart. Um, are you able to work all over the state of Georgia or just Georgia or where all are, are you licensed to work? For? Well, I am, yes, all of Georgia, but I'm New York, um, all the states surrounding Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, um, Oregon. I got like 12 states that I, and that's just because people connected me like, Hey, my mom lives in Oregon and then she needs your help. And, and the only way to help her, I can have a conversation, but if she wanted me to be her agent, I'd have to be licensed in that state. So then I would get the license and you just pay for the license. But, um, wherever I'm needed, I can help anybody. So I'm curious. I've been told that you, all those commercials you see about Medicare, mm-hmm. that those tips are actually not supposed to be running. Is that true? Well, they're, they get around it. I'm sure they have curveballs that get them in there. But I mean, I had a client yesterday call me. She said, Oh, Humana, somebody called me. And I go, Oh, what's the phone number? And I called the number and it was unlist, unlisted. And he's representing himself as a Humana person, but he's not. He was just trying to get her to change to him. And I'm like, They do that all the time. I don't know how they get away with it. And I tell my clients all the time, I love what I do. I love helping you, but I'm not that powerful to stop those phone calls or those commercials. So just know that you're always going to be in the best plan suited for you because you dealt with me. And I've always made sure my clients know I'm your person. If somebody calls and doesn't, you, you don't hear my name, don't, don't talk to them. And you can do the best you can with that, but it doesn't always work. And then they're calling me and I have to rechange them back to the plan they had because somebody moved them. And it's sad that there's people out there taking advantage of people. And it's uh, you know, it's frustrating. coming more and more every day of not just seniors, but a lot of people being taken advantage of different mm-hmm. ways. So you and I met networking yes. um, out in the Paulding County area. You know, you do in that way. You also do the Eckworth Connections. You've mm-hmm. come started coming a little bit to Cartersville. Mm-hmm. Um, other than your passion for seniors and helping others, why is it important for you to be part of the community? So um, we bought a home in Hiram, and I when I moved – to Georgia initially, I was in uh, Smyrna, but I didn't know anybody, as I mentioned. And honestly, it took me till just last March, I started networking and I should have been doing it all along because not only do you meet great people to connect with in business, I've met some great friends and friendship matters to me. And, um, and I'm a, 
you know, I'm very passionate about friendships and connecting people like that just moved here and they don't know anybody. Well, guess what? You need to go to this networking and meet these people. So now I'm like this advocate for networking. I think it's the most amazing thing in the world that they ever came up with. Uh, I've mentioned before Stone several times, almost practically everybody has been on my show. I've met one way of networking or another and heard their story. So that's, you know, that's why I'm not having trouble filling content for this show. Um, but um, you can you share maybe a testimonial of the positivity of networking, a story that's you know benefited you, but also somebody how you benefit somebody else? Um, that's kind of on the spot, but um, I, I guess just becoming friends with people that I had I would not have met if I didn't network. Um, and getting them connected to maybe somebody that they needed help with, like real estate or financial services. And it, it just benefits in all aspects. I really can't pinpoint anything in particular, but meeting great friendships. I have, I have got really great friendships from it. And I'm so blessed for that, that I give that to God for sure, because <laughs> he's the reason I did it. So, right. Well, you, I know you, you love giving back too, because you've come out yeah. and supported the trivia nights that, that I'm doing monthly and, uh, you like having fun, obviously. So, yes. um, if somebody's listening and wants to learn more about your services and or know somebody who needs your services, how can people get a hold of you? Uh, okay, my phone number is seven seven zero eight two three zero one two five, and my email is Kathy at Springer Senior Solutions dot com, and you can go to my website at www.springerseniorsolutions.com. dot com. You got to give your tagline. Oh, don't make an assumption when you need resolution. Call Kathy from Springer Senior Solutions. There you go. There you go. All right. Well. Thanks for sharing a little bit of your story. Don't go away because we're not really done with you yet, yeah. but they've got two other guests that I'd like for you to listen to. And um, these guys I've actually never met in person. We've talked a lot through Facebook, uh, been introduced from different people. Um, but my next net guest, Ken Merritt, thanks for being here this morning, Ken. Thanks for having me. You uh, are doing things. Uh, you are a Christian, but you want to do uplifting movies, and you've got one that's it's about finished, right? Um, it's pretty much finished. And every time we think it's finished and something else happens, uh, you know, they, they kind of say the rule is it's, you're not finished writing until the editing is done. Um, while I did write it with some help with, uh, uh, from my son, um, we, we kind of co-wrote it together. Um, it, it's evolving, you know, um, I, I think George Lucas said it best. Uh, he said that, um, movies are never done they're just abandoned and i can see that when you when there you do if this is my first full feature film i came to the party late um and and moved here um a, about five years ago and like kathy just was making was making decent money as a um a business owner of a commercial cleaning business but um i just kept thinking about film and story I kind of majored in it back at Carson Newman College back in 91. Uh, it was when I graduated, but I uh, got married and, and she, she wasn't willing to, to go that starving artist route with me and move to that small market and, you know, work for nothing until you can finally right. make it. And, um, and then the industry changed. It went from more of, um, analog to digital and, you know, back then, it's not like today where you can film something on your camera or, you know, edit on your laptop. It was more involved in that. And I thought, well, you know, it's, you know, beyond me now. I'll just, we, we had children, we got settled in life, got bills. Um, 
and then when I started to to finally get comfortable with material things and, and grounded with the the family, then uh, um, there was a divorce. So that was very very painful and unsettling, um, as, as you know you can imagine, and uh, and that's very expensive too. So right. <laughs> so it's like. You know, building and losing and then rebuilding again and, and, um, you know, who's got time to chase some crazy dream, right? I mean, you're, I'm too busy trying to survive. And it was not, it was not a divorce that was very amicable. Um, you know, a lot of people that went through the process or whatever said, Oh, it, it'll get better. You know, you know, it, it never did. Um, and, uh, so between child support and alimony, child support interest, which I'm still paying now, uh, even though the kids are, you know, grown and gone, um, it's just, you know, just survival. Um, but, um, started the business. The business did well. Um, I like to clean. I like just good, honest work, even though I have a college degree. I ended up scrubbing toilets and emptying trash cans and then, uh, but, but I took a little bit of pride in the fact that I did own the business, but, uh, still it's, you know, it's, it's not, you know, a, a glamor, op- uh, occupation. Um, but it is definitely a need. And, uh, the, uh, God bless me. Uh, I raised, uh, I became from the smallest franchise owner in the, um, uh, in the market, the Knoxville market. It covered, you know, all the way to North Georgia, Chattanooga, up to the Tri Cities. Um, uh, halfway out to, to Nashville to become the largest franchise owner in the state. And it's just, I've, I've learned how to work and, and not say no. And every, every time they, they had a new account for me, um, they knew that, Hey, Ken will take it. You know, he'll take anything. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, an hour out of Knoxville. It's an industrial, you know, three shifts, seven days a week, but yeah, give it to Ken. Um, but I needed it. I mean, because of the, um, uh, because of the divorce and all the expenses and everything else, um, that was my only way out of the hole is just, uh, work, work my way out, you know, and just stay busy and, and keep from getting too depressed because there were a lot of problems with the divorce. And she, she had put the children, you know, against me out of some power play and struggle. And they were my life during the marriage. And so after the marriage, um, you know, I, I couldn't see them for a long time. And so I thought I'm either going to uh, lose myself in the bars or in my life or start a business where there's always something to do. And I just sank myself in the business. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and finally, you know, uh, made it to where I could, you know, remarry again and, and, and have a life and a, and a family. But I was never able to have children again. And, uh, and I guess, um, my call and and I'm probably talking way too much. No, no, it's, it's good backstory. Go ahead. If you, you know, I guess I have an inter- interview dream, but, uh, if you need uh, to ask me a question, just throw something at me. Um, but my, uh, um, my son, um, I was separated from my children, uh, all three children for, for about, uh, 10 years. Yeah. And, uh, because they lived with her, you know, she, I didn't even know if they could, she would read, they would read the letters or anything. I mean, it was that bad. And, um, I just did some cyber sleuthing and tried to find out, you know, what social sites they were on. And, and I was already blocked on most of that, but I, um, 
left a message on whatever I could see them on. One was on Instagram, one was on Twitter, one was on uh, Facebook. And I just said, you know, I'm your dad. Here's my number. I love you. I'll always be your dad. And, uh, and I'll always, I'm always thinking about you and nothing happened. And then about two years after I left that message, my son finally got out of, out of, um, the house, out of school, high school. And, and he called me and he said, this is Gabe. And I'm thinking, as in my son, Gabe, I know exactly where I was on the interstate, what time of the day it was. And I had to pull over uh, just to breathe. I hadn't talked to him in 10 years. Wow. And uh, I didn't know where that conversation was going to go. It started off slow, awkward. Um, but then uh, eventually, um, I mean, we're very close now. And he, he it, no sooner than he came into my life, he was going to be leaving. He had a desire to go to L.A. to be an actor, to work in film. So, um, but during that six months before he left, we we made it, we made good time and made up for some lost time and, and, and grew to have a bond, uh, there. And, um, I asked him, I said, uh, son, can I take a road trip with you? Can I go out there with you? Um, I'm, I'm happy for you, but I mean, and when we would talk, I said, where are you going to work? Uh, uh, where are you going to live? Well, I, uh, yeah, okay. What's your plan? He, and, he, he was going to go to the um, Groundling School of Improv uh, there and a lot of, you know, uh, Saturday Night Live actors and whatnot got their start there. They have auditions there a lot. And he thought maybe the uh, comedy would be an, uh, a niche that he could start in and move out outside from there. And um, I said, OK, that that sounds like a decent plan. Um, but who am I to stop you, um, from, from chasing your dream? And I, I'll wish you the best. And, but if I could ride out there with you and have that, that bond, he couldn't tell his mom and that, that I would ride out there with him. Um, she would be very upset that, that A, he was with me or B, she didn't, he didn't ask her to go. Um, so, um, a lot of our dealings were, were still in secret even long, long after the divorce. Um, and his two siblings still really haven't come around. Um, and, uh, but, um, I'm much healthier today because of, of him coming around and, uh, and it, and it kind of lit a, a fuse in me because, like I said, I keep thinking about film and stories and I'd watch movies and I'd talk about them. But, um, and I, and I've been told that if you got something in your mind long enough, you need to do something about it. Um, and, uh, and so like Kathy, I uh, said one, if one thing that I could do all things aside, not, not worrying about logistics and what makes sense, just, um, what would I love to do? And, uh, the answer was, um, be a filmmaker. Now I didn't know how to get started in that at 50 years old, you know, and, uh, and it doesn't, doesn't make sense. And I, I, I was living in Knoxville. I didn't tell a lot of people about why I was moving to Georgia. Part of it was to be closer to family. I'm originally from Warner Robins, Georgia, and I've still got family there. They're getting, my mom's getting older. My stepdad has, you know, type two diabetes and a lot of episodes. So it would be cl- good to, to get closer. But the, the reason that I knew that I didn't really share with, with everybody else is I knew there was a lot of filming going on in Atlanta area. 
and I didn't know exactly where to start. I didn't really want a degree. I've already got a degree. I just wanted to learn how to make movies. And so when I um, moved down to Canton, um, I didn't know how many more times I'd have to go back to Knoxville because I still had the business, still have it now. And I hired a, a manager, uh, some, some guy that had been with me for years and, um, since he was like 16 and he was like married and, and, and graduated from college and, and, um, he loved the cleaning business and, and I said, Brad, um, I'm going to try this absentee ownership and I don't know how it's going to go, but, um, I believe you're up for the task. Um, but it can kind of, um, give me the, the capital, you know, uh, as I, as I chase this crazy dream. <clears throat> and so that was about five years ago. I, I started off going to, to Georgia Film Academy because it looked easy. I mean, it didn't, didn't require any transcripts or, you know, applications, approvals, anything like that. And, um, and then it just kind of gave you a, just a shotgun approach to, to, to the world of film. And then I started figuring out that I, I, I I'm, I'm attracted to the creative side of it. I act, um, writing, uh, directing, uh, producing, producing, you're going to have to do just probably like Gary does. It's you, you just put on that hat and, and, um, and you know, nobody else is going to, you know, tell your story if they, if they don't hear you or see you doing something. And, um, you know, nobody's waiting around to, to hear your script and read it and offer you a, a blank check to, to produce it. You know, I, I didn't have any faith in that process. I mean, there's, there's Oscar winning, uh, writers that are out of work. Okay. And you're, you're trying to get into a party that you're not invited to. And, and basically, so it's, but with the, with the idea of now, uh, cameras and equipment, uh, becoming a lot, lot less expensive, you know, you can, you can do things and, uh, that may look comparable to what, what you see on Netflix for just a fraction of the budget. So, um, I've probably taken up too much time. No, no. <laughs> There's sure, more to say. I just have to shut up. Share about the movie if you don't mind. Okay. Um, Jesse's gift is, is, is the project we're most proud of. I've, I've done, you know, several shorts and, um, it, then, then when this, this idea of the feature came about, um, I had written a, a short story called Jesse's gift and it was while I was in script screenwriting class. And, um, they said it, the, the, the one we were going to get to pitch it before some professionals in a panel, which is a real Hollywood process. And, and then if, if you're, if yours gets selected, then the production class across the hallway will make the film, you know? So I thought, Oh, okay. So I've got free labor here, a chance. And I thought, what am I going to do? So I laid it all out on the table. I have a brother that's a musician and he writes his own stuff and he's, He's been frustrated, uh, with his career. He lived in Nashville for a while and tried to bang it out there and just couldn't, uh, uh, never could get his break. And, uh, he's, he's even older than I am. And so I came up uh, with the idea that the popular movies at that time were, were music, uh, dramas like Star is Born and Bohemian Rhapsody. And so I felt like there was a market for that, you know, and, uh, they, uh, so, uh, came up with a short meta, uh, long story short, met a guy on a set I was doing a boom operator for, 
and we got to talking and uh, I said, you know, I've got some ideas if you want to ever hear about him. He said, yeah, give me a call. He gave me his card. I called him uh, after the shoot was over with and he, um, he answered the phone. <laughs> and I mean, he, he actually seemed interested. It kind of blew me away. I was very nervous about making the call. I've, I have reached out to producers or distributors before and never heard anything back. Um, and I don't know, I guess I was halfway expecting the same, but you know, you just keep on trying and, and, uh, out of all the things that I had, um, uh, shown him, he, he, he liked the idea of, uh, Jesse's gift because it involved a musician. He felt like he's probably got somewhat of a following already, uh, in music and that might help generate, you know, attraction and, and buzz, um, uh, with the movie. So, um, it got greenlit into a feature film from a 30 minute film. And, uh, he, uh, he had a grip truck. He has a company called Indie Gear Solutions. And, and, and uh, he said, I'll tell you what, I, I really want to been wanting to make a movie that looks like it stands against all the others, but on a fraction of the budget, um, try out, you know, this, this package, this rental equipment. And, and, um, uh, you know, you don't even have to to pay me it'll just be off the back end of any profits if that happens so i mean wow. that was that was a deal and and um then i quickly found out that a feature length film um is is a beast um it's some people say oh you've done shorts just put some shorts together and if it doesn't really happen that way and i, I got way over ambitious about the first type of a feature that I ever did because it was involved a lot of locations, a lot of characters, a lot of music, a lot of, uh, concerts. Um, and I was doing this right, right in the tail end of, you know, COVID try to get a concert together, a, gr- a group of gathering, you know, together during COVID. Right. Yeah. And so, um, now I'm, I'm after this, I'm on my way to Johnson city because, that big crowd that we were looking for in, in the movie that ne- we never did get. Um, he's, he's gotten a gig at, um, this blue plum festival in Johnson city, Tennessee, where there's average about 10 to 13,000 people. And so we are done with the movie, but we're not, I mean, we're going to go up there. We could get some footage and, and do some inserts of some crowd shots and, uh, um, and hopefully that'll be the last shoot right. we ever do. Right. So. <laughs> so the majority of it was shot here in Georgia, correct? It's yeah, just about all of it was shot in Canton Woodstock area. Um, it it does involve uh, Jesse um, falling on hard times um, by his own doing, um, his own decisions, his, his addictions, his habits, and he and when his daughter, um, also, it shows the genealogy of the the alcoholism from the grandfather. Uh, to the to the granddaughter and when when his daughter um tries to commit suicide and goes into um hospital and a rehab he leaves he he goes homeless lives off the grid his wife had already died sometime before this before the movie starts we show that through flashback and so he's homeless in atlanta so we do we we are in some real homeless camps tent tent city uh in uh um, yeah, and we've even <laughs> gotten accused of trying to exploit that and everything, even though we would go in with food, you know, and, um, and we'd have some tracks there too on the table and, and permission before we even run the camera. But, um, it, um, so it, it, 
those are those are in Atlanta. But then when um, kind of like the prodigal son and um, the father doesn't really know if Jesse's even alive or not. He's been off the grid for for a few years, and um, but he's he's dying. He gets stage four cancer and uh, cirrhosis from drinking, and he sends his younger brother to try to see if he can find him. So he goes down to um, Atlanta. Um, and we show that at the beginning. Um, and then he, he finds him, brings him back to Timber City, which is Canton. And, um, and then that's, that's where the, the fun and the challenges, you know, take off. And he resumes his mantle as a world class, uh, songwriter, singer, performer. Um, so, um, yeah, that's, that's where it's at. You're going to see a lot of landmarks, um, that, that, uh, we all know. From the gazebo in downtown Canton, the murals around to um, um, one of the concerts was inside of the church I attend, which is Woodstock City Church, which doesn't look like a church when right. you're on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, um, so yeah, it's we haven't had the premiere yet. We haven't um, scheduled any of that just yet. Um, uh, we we're, we're we're proceeding with a little bit of caution. You know, you only get one chance to make a premiere and we want to know exactly how we want to do it. But, um, I, I definitely think, um, we talked about downtown Canton and the historic theater there. Um, or, um, you know, just go. And then after that, going into the markets and maybe, maybe instead of first release theaters, maybe go into some of the, um, the historical theaters of the markets like Marietta and, and, um, Macon and, um, Savannah, you know, that kind of thing. Awesome. So, so most of the people that have worked in your film, they're all, are they mostly local folks? They are. Um, and they're, they're, they're non SAG, which SAG is a, um, is, is the union for actors in, in Georgia. And, uh, um, if you, if you go with a, if you go with an actor, that's this part of the union, then your whole film becomes union. It's, it's, it's more of a logistical nightmare, you know, just uh, the, the paperwork and all involved and then the, the cost. So we wanted to try to do this with, um, with, with actors that frankly don't have as much experience. But when, um, the, the producer saw the, the level of acting in the short, he feels, he felt like they could, they could pull it off in the feature as well. And, um, so, um, and then, my brother who plays Jesse really hasn't, he's not an actor. He's a musician and he can perform on stage and you give him a guitar and a microphone. But my, my screenwriting teacher said, she said, he might surprise you, you know, just give him a shot because what you do have is that realism of, um, these songs are coming out of this person. Um, and, um, you know, we, we signed him up for an online acting course because he does live in Knoxville. And um, uh, while we were while we were writing the feature and everything, and he, his acting just got better and better, and he he became Jesse. <laughs> and I think I think even when he the camera's not rolling, uh, his you know his wardrobe has changed now. It's, it's he's got some tattoos now. It's really kind of. And before that, he was total teetotaler, you know. I mean, here here in the movie, he's he's either got a drink or a cigarette, you know, and you know, trying to get that that hard voice of you know whiskey and pain, you know, the kind of thing. And he uh, he really just um um, it's it's taken over it. 
<laughs> so we don't know where where the old Mikey uh, is. We call him Mikey. His name's Michael Merritt. So awesome. So we were talking about before we got on air. You, we have a mutual friend, Allie Parker, has been doing your makeup yeah. for the film, and mm-hmm. uh, she's been very vulnerable in sharing her story. Very inspirational. I hope to have her on some point. But you know, oh, yeah. I don't know if you know her dad, but his he's the photographer for the Cartersville Tribune paper. So uh, that's right. Yeah. So. Wow. Um, it's pretty cool. You guys, the the local feel and the local people working with you. Uh, if somebody's listening to you and thinking about having the same passion and dream you, you have as far as trying to write a film or anything like that, what kind of advice can you give them? Well, you know, it's just so cliche to say, just do it, do something. And, um, but get started it, you know, that first step is the most scary, but it's sometimes, you know, it's like that verse that says his word is a light into our path and lamp into our feet. If you're in the dark and you're shining a light before your path, you'll see as far as that light will go, but never more until you take the next step and the light will go forward with you. So I kind of liken it when you, even if you don't know all the answers, um, take that step. If you feel, if you really believe in it, it's your passion. Um, because regrets a very powerful negative force and nobody wants that at the end of their life. And I, and I may not make it in film, you know, uh, be the next whatever, but I, we've got a movie and a movie it forever. Right. And we're still talking about wizard of Oz and citizen Kane and, you know, Godfather. It's because, um, now we may not be talking about Jesse's <laughs> gift, but still the point is, it, it's forever and uh, and it's a huge accomplishment and I'm, I'm very excited about it if uh people want to follow and be able to learn about when the premiere might be how can people follow this and, and then learn and ready to see it right um we uh we've got a website um off the rails productions uh dot info and then you get the pop-up box for the newsletter that comes on there there's a facebook um page um with jesse's gift um, and, um, we'll be, we'll be spreading the word even more. So, um, once we get the premiere date established. Awesome. Well, I know you've been busy with this project, but why, I mean, you're obviously very, very passionate about what you're doing, but why is it important for you to be part of the community? Well, you know, we moved to, to Canton. I didn't know anything about Canton and actually, we were actually wanted to be a little closer into Atlanta. Um, still North, North end because of, I didn't want to have to drive through uh, Atlanta to get back to you know, Knoxville and not knowing how many times I'd have to go back, but we, um, initially wanted, uh, closer in and just the cost and the budget, we kept moving further out. <laughs> now I think Canton's about as far as out as you can go North and still be in the, the Metro, but it's grown on me. Um, it really has. I like, um, I love the outdoors and I love that about Knoxville with the Smokies and the uh, big South fork and all that nearby. Um, Canton has a lot of that because, um, 45 minutes you're in the mountains and, um, but I can be on a dirt path walking within five, 10 minutes from my house. Um, so, so it's beautiful. We got the, the, got the, the water in the, in the mountains and the foothills, but, um, but the people, you know, it, it just, and, and I, I always love that about Georgia, you know, cause I'm from, from here, but then I left and went to Appalachian State on a wrestling scholarship, um, with the, the real wrestling, as Gary <laughs> says, uh, the ones that you gotta, you know, it doesn't have, we didn't have the big crowds right. at our matches. Right. Um, and then, uh, and then I, um, um, 
it just, uh, I, I miss Georgia. It's like Louis Gazard once said, if I ever get back to Georgia, I'm going to nail my feet to the ground. Um, I don't see myself leaving. Um, now at times I, I felt like I wanted to move closer into Atlanta because you, you're closer to the film network stuff. And when you're getting people on a low budget, it's easier for them to come out and film with you than all the way out to Canton. Um, but I'm going to have to think long and hard about it because I've really gotten attached to the, the community. And, uh, I think the longer I'm here, the, the more it's, it's got a hold on me and I might not ever be able to leave. Right. Right. Oh, that's awesome. So Ken, thank you for sharing your story. And, uh, we're going to now move over to a, a gentleman. I don't know how this next guest sleeps stone because everything that I know about him, you're up like 24 <laughs> hours, I guess we actually met through actually email introduction for a mutual friend, Jacob Woodard introduced us, but also have people who network with me, Joel Lapp. Everybody keeps saying you need to meet Gary Lamb. So, Gary, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm glad to be here. I'm pumped. Yeah, so it took us about four times to make this work. Exactly, huh? exactly. So I'm glad we were able to do this. You, I mean, I don't know where to start. You've got Action Church. You've got a wrestling promotion. You've got an MMA league. You've got uh, Black Sheep Project, your own podcast, your events business. So just share your story. How did you get involved in all this? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm a serial entrepreneur, and it's easy from looking from the outside to think he's got his hands in a bunch of stuff. But I really, really don't. At the end of the day, I'm in the event business. Everything I do is centered around events. I'm all about creating community. Um, and so that's just kind of what happens. I got started in it because I moved here probably about 18 or 19 years ago, and I started a church. And um, the church grew really quick. And um, probably one of the largest churches in the county now. And I like to say about five years in that um, my talent far exceeded my character. And so as the church grew, my ego ego grew bigger. Um, I lost everything. So I lost church, lost my family, lost my marriage, lost my name, ended up on the front page of the paper. And, um, and had to come to some conclusions in life. I had to decide, was I going to move away, which is what a bunch of people kind of told me to do, move away and get a fresh start. But um, – Sounds weird. I'm a pastor, but I'm not the most spiritual person. I, I really felt led to be in Canton. This is where I wanted to be. Um, my then, well, my wife, who is now my ex-wife, stayed in the area, and I wasn't leaving my children. And so um, I just decided to pick myself up by the balls and stay in the area and rebuild my reputation. And so that was at 33. I'm 47 now, so that was 14, 15 years ago. And so I was done with ministry. I was never doing ministry again. And... Um, now, because of what I've been through in life, I deal with a lot of pastors leaving ministry that have effed up their life, screwed up their life, or just said F ministry altogether because ministry sucks at the end of the day, and we're leaving it. And um, you kind of go into this abyss of not knowing what to do, and um, you've built your life around pastoring, and you don't realize how that transitions into secular jobs and providing for your family, which is the way men are wired. We're wired to protect, and we're wired to provide. So immediately you feel like you have to provide. And so I went through that that period. Um, lucky for me, I can sell ice to an Eskimo. So I went into sales, and I did really, really well, but it was lacking to me. And so um, I had kind of built my previous church on big events. We ran about 12, 1,500 people in a movie theater. So um, I was used to setting up and tearing down every Sunday, putting on a big event every Sunday, and um, so it, it, it was an event in itself every week. And so really what happened is my current wife and I um, went to Jeep Fest and we were walking around Jeep Fest and I was watching people, tens of thousands of people form community. And I saw community at a Jeep Festival that I never saw in the church. And I saw people doing life together that I never saw in the church. 
and I saw people having a good time and rallying around the calls and enjoying life. And at that time, um, I was really into barbecue at the time, kind of when I lost everything about three houses down from the house that I was living in at the time, I was leaving one day to go and they had this old smoker sitting out at the end of the road for the trash company to pick up. I went and asked him if I could have it. Um, as you can imagine, as he shared, I'd lost everything. I wasn't sleeping. And so, um, I started barbecuing on this smoker and I would just stay up all hours of the night, just tending to that fire. And in, and it sounds really cheesy and really effing stupid, but it kind of saved my life just having something. And so as we were walking around this festival, my wife and I had been together about a year and a half at that time. And I said, I'm, I'm going to do this around barbecue. And she looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, I'm going to put on a barbecue and craft beer festival and I'm going to do it in Canton. And, um, we put on barbecue and brews about six months later and, we shut downtown Canton down. I mean, probably 18,000 people showed up. It was wow. insanity. It, it was, we were not prepared and we didn't know what we were doing. And it was way too many people and, um, food trucks ran out of food. And I remember we went through almost 150 kegs of beer in about seven and a half hours. We ran out of beer with 30 minutes to go. And, um, it you, was just kind of, no, I didn't, I don't have those kind of skills. And so <laughs> word spread because of that festival. And other cities started asking us to bring barbecue and brews there. And so we brought it to Ella J and we brought it to Cartersville. And then it kind of grew past that where people were like, well, can you do something besides barbecue? And so we started doing other festivals and then we started doing concerts. And um, I just got in the promotion business. And then um, it's it's what I do. I operate really good in chaos. Um, he said it sounds kind of basic, but yeah, you just got to do it. We just stepped out and we did it. And, and it just evolved into other things. My son at the time was seven years old and he got really into wrestling. And so I took him to this, um, old high school gym and we watched wrestling and it was the most, uh, excuse, it was the most fucking horrible thing I'd ever seen. Excuse my language. I don't know if we're allowed to cuss in here or not, but FCC doesn't you know, listen. Well, that's fine. Anybody that follows me on my, on my Facebook knows it's going to happen. It was horrible. It was the worst thing ever I'd ever seen in my life. And my son loved it. And I came home and told Christine, my wife, I said, I, I can't take him to this wrestling thing. I will blow my brains out if I have to go to this every month. And she said, so what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to start a wrestling promotion. It can't be that hard. These idiots do it. And um, so we started a wrestling promotion, and it just took off, and it grew. And I didn't even know there was awards for wrestling. And we won promotion of the year and promoter of the year the first four years. We broke the Georgia State record. We were the first independent show to have over a 1,000 people in attendance. And it just kind of took off. So we were in the event business, and then COVID happened. And, and that's a shitty thing to be in is the event mm -hmm. business. And so uh, COVID happened and no one wanted to do events. And suddenly about 30 days later, my mortgage was due. And so I just decided to give a middle finger to everything and say, we're doing events and I don't care if they take us to jail or not. And so I have a 30,000 square foot building. I have an old grocery store in Canton that the church I pastor meets in and I'll get to the church here in a minute. And so uh, we just started running events out of there. We didn't advertise them. We called it Black Sheep Underground and you found out through word of mouth and we did concerts and we ran dance nights and we drew thousands of people to those events and we probably helped spread COVID all over Cherokee County. <laughs> nice. Or that's what we were accused of anyway. <laughs> no, sure. And, um, but we didn't care, man. Uh, we ran those events all the time and they grew and they grew and they grew. And, um, the church I was pastoring at the time, we never shut down. Um, we, we refused to shut down. And so we kept meeting when the Georgia shut down, we kept meeting and people kept coming. And so it grew and the events grew and, um, I met the people at the mill on Etowah. I don't know if you're familiar with the mill on Etowah. The mill is a, a 600,000 square foot redevelopment of an old cotton mill. 
And um, right about the time that Governor Kemp opened up Georgia, they came to me and said, hey, do you think you could put a concert on here? We'd like to draw about 500 people and just let people know, let's get back to living. We'll keep them socially distanced. We'll keep them separated. And I said, oh, yeah, we'll run a show here. And so um, I put a band together during that time called the Guardians of the Jukebox, which is a big 80s tribute band. Um, we had a connection with the rock band Fozzie. Chris Jericho is the professional wrestler. He's the singer of the band Fozzie. But when Jericho's wrestling and he's on TV, the rest of the band formed this 80s band. And so we put them at the mill. And um, we didn't draw 500 people. We drew about 5,000 people that Ugh. night. And uh, people lost their minds. City of Canton lost their mind. Uh, sponsors of the mill lost their mind. They were not real happy. And um, we had a blast. And um, we just kind of set the standard. And cities knew that if you wanted to put on events, a lot of event companies went out of business during that time. And we didn't. We thrived. We made more money during COVID than we made not during COVID. So when everything opened back up, we were about your only effing option if you wanted to do events. And um, so we specialize in what we call vendor events, large-scale festivals. And like I said, barbecue and brews is our bread and butter. But um, we do about four of those a year. But we also do Downtown Alive and Downtown Canton. We do the Ballground Rocks Fest. Um, we're fixing to host one in Morrow, fixing to host one in Augusta, fixing to host one. Um, barbecue, brews, and bacon. We're fixing to do in Macon with the Macon Bacon Baseball right. team sure. inside their baseball stadium. And so we do probably about 30 what we call large-scale events a year. And so large-scale means they draw thousands of people. Along with that, we run 12 wrestling shows every month or excuse me a year once a month. And then in January, we started a fight league, a um, – MMA, Muay Thai, um, just a fight league. It is what it is. It's sanctioned through the Athletic Commission. Um, a lot of hoops you got to jump through in Georgia. Very strict, the commission is. And so you got to float a lot of money to do it up into the time. And so because of that, where compared to Tennessee, where it's a lot easier to do, there's not a lot of promotions here in Georgia. There's one or two. And um, so we held our first fight January 14th, I believe. And had about 950 people there. We held our second show May 6th, and um, we had to cap it at about 1,300, considering our um, occupancy loads about 850. So at about 1,300 people, oh, we wow. cut it off. And um, we're gearing up for August 19th. We're running four of those shows. We can't run those monthly. They're too much work. And so we're running those. And a matter of fact, tickets went on sale for our August 19th show yesterday. And we sold out a front row most of our tables, half a second row in about two hours. And so we've hit a nerve. And um, But there are more than events. We, 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 we create community. And so that's what we do. And um, we create things that allow people to escape the reality that most people think their life sucks. They go to a job to work for someone they don't like, to make money, to spend on things they don't need, to impress people they don't like. And so um, most people are just in the um, – most people don't have the balls to step out and say at 50 years old, I'm going to start making movies. Most people don't say at 29 years old, <laughs> I'm going to move from um, New York to Atlanta and start over. And so most people, they do, man, because society has taught us, school has taught us, the world has taught us that you go to school – you get in debt, you go to a job, you retire from that job when you're 70, and maybe for five years, the last five years of your life, you get to work on, you get to live on Social Security and enjoy life. And um, it's called the rat so race. It's called the rat race, right. And so I take pride in the fact that we put on events that for a couple of hours, 
people get to escape reality and they don't get mm-hmm. to think about the fact that the car payments do or the house payments do or that their marriage is not good or that their teenagers don't respect them or that they don't respect themselves. And so that's what we do. We really stress community in all of our events. And so it's not a wrestling show. It's community. I mean, it sounds really stupid, but if you came a couple of months, you would see that month after month. It's people. It's like a family reunion. People start waiting in line for wrestling tickets at noon. They start tailgating in our parking lot at one o'clock. Um, fight night. They get there and they arrive and it's, they're seeing people they haven't seen and they're, they're the riches are in the niches and they're, they're, they're gathered around these small activities that maybe mainstream doesn't like, but they're getting to be around people that they like wrestling to me is one of the weirdest stupidest oddest things i've ever done in my life but you know what to those people that are into it they feel the same way and they've been judged by everybody so they come there and now they're suddenly around five or six hundred people that are into the same thing they're in and they get to be normal and um, our festivals they create community probably 90 percent of our festivals are held in downtown areas so we go to areas we bring community there we bring Thousands of people. Our Cartersville event that we just had had about 17,000 people throughout the day. It had about a month ago. So 17,000 people come to downtown Cartersville and they support the businesses and they support the restaurants and they support that economy and they support the hotels and community happens. And it's interesting to show up and see people show up with a shirt from 2016 or 2015 and they come and they find you and they remember, man, they've come every year and it's crazy. We're spoiled and we're lucky and my family, I tell my kids all the time, you take for granted that we go on four or five vacations a year. You take for granted that you turned 16 and I was able to get you a car. For a lot of people, this is their vacation. They plan their vacation around being able to come out for a day or their hard-earned money. And a lot of disposable income is not out there. So it's not something we take lightly. So we try to create community. So, so I do that. And on top of that, I do pastor a church called Action Church. And, um, which I love the name, by the way. Yeah. When I, um, lost my other church, I was done. And I said, I was never doing ministry again. I, I deserved to lose it. I mean, I should have lost it. I was done with church. Um, never was done with God, never got bitter at God. It was my fault. You know, I was the one who couldn't keep my pecker in my pants. So, um, you know, so it is what it is. And, um, but I, I never went through that angry stage. I never went through that mad stage. But I did get turned off by the church. I got turned off by the business of the church. I got turned off by budgets and staffing and HR and elders telling you what you can and can't do. And so um, I had a group of people ask me to start another church. That's normal when you leave a church that big. Even if you leave on bad terms, there's people that still, thankfully, there's still people that love you and believe in you. Not many. Not many of a church. About 1,500, I had 13 people approach me. So um asked me to start another church. So I set some criteria for them. I said we would never start a um, church until the church I had lost found a new pastor. They took a long time to um, find a pastor. I like to think that I'm irreplaceable. That's really not the truth because the next pastor has grown the church about five times bigger than it was when I was there. But um, they wanted to make sure they had the right guy. Um, I said I wanted to have a job that was paying my bills. I was never going to take a salary from the church. I was never going to have anybody accuse me of getting back in ministry for money. And so 11 years in, I don't take a salary from that church at all. Um, And I said, people have to ask me to do it. I'm not just going to say we're starting a church. So I had this group of people come to me, 13 people. And I said, yeah, here's the deal. We'll start a church. I said, I'm never taking a salary. We're going to move to the poorest part of town. And so we did. So we moved to exit 16 off of um, in downtown Canton off 575, which is a very – it's the poorer part of our town. It's the Spanish-speaking part of our town. 
Um, we leased about 5,000 square feet of the old IGA grocery store, and we started the church. And I said, here's the deal. We're not doing small groups. We're not doing ministries. We're not doing youth groups. We're not doing any of this stuff. We're going to gather together on Sundays, and we're going to celebrate. And then we're going to serve our community. We're going to live out our damn name, and we're going to take action in the community. And that's what we're going to do. And so what we have done from day one is we run one of the largest food pantries in the county. Um, we run the only the only emergency warming shelter in the county. And so when temperatures drop below 32 degrees, our building turns into the warming shelter for those that don't have a place to go, that don't have a place to stay. Um, maybe they do have a home, but believe it or not, there's people with homes in this community, especially the more northern you get that don't have heat, that don't even have running water. And so they can come to the building and stay. So we've run the warming shelter now for that. Um, up until COVID, we ran a very large um Clothing closet, Salvation Army, right before COVID moved in right next door to us. They do that. So we allowed them to do that. We have addiction meetings. We don't run any of them. They're not church-related because, again, we do Sunday morning, and that is it. Um, AA or NA meets in our building at least three nights a week. Um, for years, we ran the 24-hour room, meaning from Christmas morning to New Year's morning. We had an AA meeting every hour on the hour for seven straight days. Um, and we just serve our community. Um, Bethesda Community Clinic uses our parking lot every Monday morning to set up for their free clinic. We have 32,000 square feet now. And so we have a building. We call it the Action Building. We don't call it a church building. The church just meets in the Action Building on Sunday morning. And um, it's just a hub for ministry that we don't do. I mean, but it's we've got the building. If you've got the ministry, come operate out of there. Um, my deal with the church now is I don't take a salary, but I use the building for whatever I want to use it for. So it's my, I call it my 32,000 square foot playground. And it's got hundreds of thousands of dollars in sound equipment and lighting equipment and video equipment. So we run wrestling out of there. We run our MMA show out of there. Uh, we run concerts out of there. We've had national touring banks. Fozzie, matter of fact, Fozzie, funny, Fozzie was in at Center Stage in Atlanta last night, but their two previous Atlanta dates before that were in our building. Um, they keep all of their stuff in our building. We've run country concerts out of there. Tomorrow night, we have a dance night with a 90s DJ coming in. Um, for a fundraiser for uh, one of the Cherokee Bruins that had semi-pro football team that has his wife has cancer. And so there's always something going on there. There's always something happening there. And then on Sunday morning, there's a church service and the church is just a building. So we don't really care where they meet. Um, we're in danger of losing that building. It's been for sale now for years. Um, we know in probably the next four years what has saved us is we're in a shopping center and family dollar 25 years ago had the greatest real estate lawyers in the world. And so they've got about four years left on their lease. And so no one's buying the building for the rentals. They're buying it to tear it down. But you cannot break the family dollar contract. So we got about four years. We'll figure out what's next after that. But um, but I do. I just start things. I, I have a brand, personal brand called The Black Sheep Project. You can find that on Facebook. It's a clothing line. Um, I have a podcast. Matter of fact, it, I've recorded about eight or nine episodes of the podcast and haven't launched any of the podcasts. I've put um, sound bites up on Facebook and TikTok as we've been building up to it. And then I, I run revival events group. Like I said, that we run probably 30 to 40 large events a year. And whenever I get a wild hair in my ass, we'll start something else new because I get bored very easily. <laughs> and, um, so that's just what I do. And man, I enjoy life. I live life by my own rules and don't really care if anybody likes it or not. I don't care if the church likes it or the unchurch likes it. Um, I don't really care. It's the most freeing thing in the world. Um, to live life by your own rules and to know you are responsible for your own income and you don't have to follow what everyone else says. And so um, 
I stayed in this area and I, um, someone told me one time, I think it's the most meaningful thing they've ever been told me. They said, they said, I outlived my past and that, that was cool to me. And, uh, but I still run into people that want to bring that up and I, I, don't, I don't live there. It was 14 years ago. If, if you knew, if you knew Gary 14 years ago, you don't know Gary now. You think I'm arrogant and cocky now. You should have seen me 14 <laughs> years ago. This is calm and humble, Gary. So that's uh, my story in a nutshell. Well, difference between cocky and confidence. And I think you're confident. Right. Yeah. So, um, well, I'm cocky too. Let's not fool ourselves. <laughs> Are you tired yet, Stone? Uh, no, but I have thoroughly enjoyed listening so, to all of these conversations. The uh, the wrestling thing. I'm I'm a huge wrestling fan. Grew up. Uh, yeah. Not the not the current type of wrestling. Right. But, you know. The, but you know, you got one of my favorite guys, and Jake the Snake Roberts has been coming yeah. around. That's just pretty cool. Yeah. So when I started this, I went to. We have a guy that goes to our church named Rich Ward. Rich Ward is the guitar player for the band Fozzy. Um, he's also the founder of the Guardians of the Jukebox. And um, because he had grown up and been in the band with Chris Jericho for so long, I said, man, I want to start this wrestling promotion. And he told me, he said, you need to meet this kid named Dylan. And Dylan was a video guy that does all the video editing for DDP Yoga, which is Diamond Dallas mm-hmm. Page, his yoga thing out in Smyrna. And he goes, man, he, he wants to wrestle. He's always wanted to put on a wrestling promotion. He's the best production and video guy you've ever met. So I met Dylan, brought him on as a partner. I put up all the money. Dylan does all the work. And um, through Dylan... We've met Dallas. We've met Buff Bagel. Buff Bagel was at our show last time. We've met Jake the Snake Roberts. We met Scott Hall. Um, Cody Rhodes' last independent wrestling appearance ever was at Southern Honor, which is the promotion I own. Um, before AEW started, they owned no footage. So Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega did a run-in at one of our shows where they could get footage for the first pay-per-view for AEW because they didn't own any of the footage. New Japan owned it all. And so it's just it goes back to community. It goes back to connection. You talked about connection earlier. Connection is probably the most valuable currency there is in the world. You talked about networking. And so just through knowing Rich, I got introduced to Dylan, who got us introduced to some of the biggest names in wrestling. And and um, the promotion has taken off. Your average independent wrestling promotion in Georgia runs about 70 to 80 people, and we probably average between five and 600 people to show. And um, it, But it's great. Our building is just made for it. I mean, with the screens and the lights and the smoke and the parking. And um, I, I love when newcomers pull into our parking lot because it looks like a shithole. It's an old, crappy shopping center. But then you walk into our building, and it's, it, it is. It truly is amazing. It's truly amazing when the lights are out. And um, we can't everything black. Black covers a multitude of sins is what I say. It covers all the nastiness in the building. And so the focal point is the stage with the haze and the lights and the moving lights. And, you know, two, man, they're probably 40-foot-wide screens and the rampway coming down. And um, it just has that old-school WCW feel to it. And um, it's really resonating. I know more about wrestling now than I ever wanted to know in my life. And so um, it's it's interesting. And um, it's definitely a niche thing. It's the only thing I've ever done where if you tell 100 people about it, only one person's into it. But that one person is into it. Mm-hmm. And they know 100 other people yeah. that are into it. Yep. We have people that drive down to our show every month from Missouri, drive down from Virginia, we had people flying from Canada because people that are into this independent wrestling thing are into this independent wrestling thing. And they've always been kind of the nerdy outcast thing. And then we created something that was kind of cool and um, they want to be part of it. And so I enjoy it. And I don't do much with it now. I promote it. I'm a prom- My wife calls me the redneck PT Barnum. And so um, <laughs> that's what I do. I just promote. Um, I operate really good in chaos and I know how to draw crowds and I'm not good at, at much of anything else. Um, we had a couple of college interns that wanted to follow me around and learn from me. And I'm like, you can follow me around, but I don't 
fuck, excuse me, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I just do it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm sure a systems person would tell you I have a system and they would figure it out. But in my mind, I'd, I just operate in chaos. Um, I remember back when I was at my previous church, about two years in, I got this awesome idea. I said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to drop 100,000 eggs from a helicopter for Easter egg. Mm-hmm. And um, we did it at Bowling Park and we shut down 575 about four miles in both directions and riots broke out. And it was crazy and it was the biggest cluster ever in the city of Canton was going to arrest me for inciting a riot the night before Easter. And, uh, but we drew a lot of people and it was freaking fun. And I had a blast <laughs> and a dude had a heart attack and died in the middle of it. And, um, oh man, it was great. I still see people wearing shirts as I survived the Easter egg drop. They'll nice. find them at Goodwill and stuff. So it's always my favorite thing. Yeah. And, uh, so I've just been in big events forever. And I, I don't know why I have an amazing, I call them my tribe and I have an amazing tribe of people who buy into my craziness and do, they buy into what I want to do because I, I'm convinced again, people want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And I give them that opportunity to be something bigger because we're not going to do anything small f doing something small and so um we're going to launch it quick we're not going to stretch it out forever and um my tribe is amazing and they step up and there's no idea that i could ever do that they're they're not just on board because they know i'm going to make it happen and mma elevate fight league is the current thing i mean we started that this year and man, we're breaking records in georgia and um, it's been very profitable and it's been a blast and um, that's a whole other world that has opened up to me. But again, it looks like I do a lot of different things. I don't. I just do events. And so the skeletons and the bones are all the same. The skin's a little bit different on each and every one of them. And so it works out well. My wife owns a t-shirt company. She started that t-shirt company. She traveled about 32 weeks out of the year before COVID. We looked at our figures and we're spending about six six figures a year on t-shirts for our events. So I just told her to start a t-shirt company to serve, to uh, provide for us. Now I can't even get her to make t-shirts for me. It's grown so much. She's so busy doing everybody else's t-shirts. So um, we've been blessed, but we're just not afraid to do shit. We just step out and do it. And if it fails, it fails. And I've done plenty that's failed. So uh, we just ignore that and don't brag about that in the stories right. and keep on going. Right. So we're, we're similar in ways. I've been told I can sell ice to Eskimos. So nice to hear somebody else can do that as well. We should uh, maybe talk about how we can do that together. A nice business. Yes. Um, now you just need to find the Eskimos that need us. Yeah, right, right. Uh, Alaska, that's melting up there. Um, but I also, I, I actually do the smaller events. I like doing the community stuff as well. Um, right now I specialize in doing community trivia events where I'm rotating charities in Bartow County. Um, I do want to talk to you because I have an idea of a, for, like to see about possibly doing something as a wrestling show as a, for yeah. a, a certain nonprofit. So you live in Bartow then? I live actually in the Kennesaw Ackworth line, but I do m- most of my stuff in Bartow. How'd you end up in Woodstock doing a podcast? This man right here. Gotcha. We uh, we have the same things, both nonprofits and, and just the passion of helping people like everybody else. And it just came one thing led to another. And here we are. Yeah, I love Carsville, man. Carsville, Carsville's our biggest festival. Yes, that's awesome. And, uh, like, Carsville does it right. Yep. And Carsville, a lot of cities do a lot of events and it minimizes them. Carsville says we do two events a year. I do both of them. We've been there seven years now. They don't question anything we do. I get to do whatever how I want to do it. And, uh, man, they, they give us the keys to downtown and we blow the doors off that place every year. And, um, there's so much potential. If they can ever figure out high density housing in downtown, they'll rival Woodstock. Yeah. But the high density housing is not there to keep the town going right now. No, it's, uh, it's just amazing though that, uh, it is amazing when certain areas open up. I see this every month. So I've been averaging 60 to 70 people a month for the trivia, which is kind of cool. We meet at St. Angelo's there at Lake Point. Um, I also do some business expos for charities and my biggest event coming up, uh, for those of you interested is a locker room chat. I've got seven former NFL football players, a former major league baseball player, former professional soccer player and a rodeo guy coming. Uh, and we're raising money for all in all ministries who is, a uh, run by a gentleman who has a, 
an incredible story. He was on here a few weeks ago telling it, named Kevin Harris. And uh, anyway, he's building and wants to build a rehab facility for men with addictions because of his experience. And so that's my biggest event. But um, I look forward to maybe you and I talking and doing some other yeah, stuff anytime. together. Um, so other than why you shared that, just give me your why is it important for you to be part of the community than providing for the community? Because um, we weren't created to do life alone. And so um, not to get super biblical and get super spiritual, but God created everything. He created the heavens and the earth, and he created the birds and the animals, and he created the days and the night. And then he created man, and he looked at man, and man was alone. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. And I get that it's easy to say he made a helpmate for him, but I also think he made community for him. He, um, I joke that the Lone Ranger his effing name is the Lone Ranger. <laughs> if anybody was built to do life alone, had Tonto. And um, so we're not made to do life alone. And I think that these things right here, these phones, have minimized and um, devalued what the word friend means. And they've devalued what connection means. And they've devalued what community means. And so um, I get that we're moving more and more and more virtual. And we're moving more and more away from face-to-face. But there's just something powerful about face-to-face community and being active in the community. And I'm just not wired to live in a community that I'm not making an impact in. And I have went to war with my city. Me and Ken have went to war. During COVID, we threw down. I gave them both I mean, it was two middle fingers to both of them and did what I wanted to do. And um, I threw down with the council. I threw down with the police. I threw down with the mayor. But at the end of the day, they also knew when the shit hit the fan and they needed somebody, I would be there for them. And that's important to me. You don't got to like me. I just want you to know I'm there for you. Even if I don't like you, I'm going to be there for you. And we've mended fences since then a little bit. I've tried a little bit. But um, not too hard. But um, <laughs> but a community is just important to me. I, I, I can't – I don't know. I'm just not wired to live in an area or be part of an area – where life is not happening and community is not happening. And I do think lack of connection is the number one thing that I I don't care if it's suicide, depression, whatever it is. I think if you take it back to the root issue, it's always going to go back to lack of connection. Now, obviously I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not trained in any of that, but I've been around long enough to know connection is just vital. I know when I lost everything and I was living in someone's basement and, um, hiding because you know for about i I joked that i hid for 29 days so because on day 30 fedex came to the door of the place where i was staying and my ex-wife had sent me a fedex package with all the bills Mm. Mm. and i realized that my mortgage didn't give a shit that i had had an affair and the power company didn't give a shit that i had an affair and the car payment didn't give a shit that i had an affair and the bills were still due and so i realized i had to get in there and shave my face and go out and start something i went and started a business at that time too and, um, but when I got back around people, that's when I begin to, to feel alive again mm-hmm. and feel connection again. And I, it's funny cause I'm an introvert. I know you probably find that very surprising. I am a huge introvert. You put me on the stage in front of 5,000 people and I'm great. You put me in a room of five people and man, I, I'm quiet. I, I don't, I don't like two way conversations. I, I want to, I like one way conversations where I'm the one giving the conversation. <laughs> and so, um, I, I, my, my wife jokes and says, I put on festivals that way. I don't have to be part of the festival. I don't, I don't, I don't want to go hang out and chill and do that kind of stuff, but just being around people energized me again. And there's just power and connection. I think we saw that during COVID. I, God, I don't want to be controversial here. I, people died of COVID, yep. but I also think so many of them died from isolation. Yep. And um, I, I know my wife's grandmother died not of cancer, but once she had cancer, her grandfather had COVID and he was in the hospital. And three weeks later, I mean, of being isolated, I, I knew enough people at the hospital where I allowed them, they allowed me in. I mean, I remember like something out of ET. I had to suit up and go in there and 
and he was done, like just not being around people. And I, I, again, I don't want to minimize COVID. Please don't misunderstand me. But I, I do. I think isolation was a huge factor in that during that time was, you know, people are sick and they're sicker than they've ever been. And now they can't be around their family. And I, I don't know, man, connection's just powerful. And I think we're seeing it now. He talked about, I can't remember the name of the event he talked about he's going to, but you know, for about a year events were dying and festivals were dying and now they're thriving again. And people want to be around people because there's energy in people. There's energy in this room today because there's five of us sitting here that we would not get if we were all on our computers. We could have done this from our computers today. Mm-hmm. Technology's there. And it would and the people listening would have known no difference. You know what I mean? But there's energy in feeding off each other and hearing. So it's important for me to create community and be part of the community that I'm in. You talk about festivals. So like I said, this past Monday was my anniversary. So I took my wife to Decatur, Alabama for the Hot Air Bloom Festival. Yeah. And it was slammed. Right. You know, because you're right. I mean, I still there's there's still people today who are still suffering from the lack of being able to be with people right. from, from COVID. So um, all right, before we wrap this up, and again, I appreciate y'all coming and sharing this. I want, I got one more question. I'm going to ask the three of you. I always like to end this show with you guys sharing a quote, a word, a nugget, some positivity for people to listen and take today and the rest of 2023 and beyond with. So Kathy, you start, please. One thing that I've always uh, said to my son, I do have a child. He's 34 years old. Um, I said, you can do whatever you want if you put your mind to it. And I said it to him all the time, every day. And he strived by that. And I said it to everybody. Like, don't ever say you can't do something. That word can't is not in my vocabulary. I just said it now, but I don't use it in any way, shape, or form. So Right. She's 29 with a 34-year-old. Man. I right. say the same thing. Exist. I'm like, wait a minute. How would you turn 34? I'm 34. It doesn't exist with her. <laughs> math doesn't add up there somehow. I don't know that there's math. That it shows math. you can do anything. Exactly. Yeah. Ken, what you got? Well, I'm going to give you two quotes, if you sure. don't mind. I, I think um, – uh, it must have been somebody like Zig Ziglar or Tony Robbins. It said, you get where you want in life by helping enough other people get what they want. Yeah. Zig Ziglar. So if you, if you don't know which way to go, go help somebody. Go help somebody like Gary or Kathy or somebody um, like you that, that are doing something good for somebody that matters. Um, and then another, another thing that got me through a lot because I, I had a lot of fear working through divorce and, and, and then the accusations that, that she put upon me and, and, uh, to the point where I was sitting in front of a 12 man jury, um, and, uh, didn't know whether my life was going to change drastically, uh, when they came back in and gave the, so it, it was, um, and you made her that. real mad. I, yeah. And it's, it's like the, uh, the tearjerker of the week. It's like my life has been a movie because this doesn't happen to normal people, but it happened. I know to a me. guy that makes movies. <laughs> yeah, you should make a movie about it. You know what? I, th- you know, some people say that I've got a lot to say, uh, in that regard, but you got to dig up some. Some harmful stuff. Maybe I need to get away from it a little bit longer before I start going back to it, if that makes sense. Uh, but the, but the other thing that I I saw a quote in one of my motivational books or devotional books, it said, courage is not the absence of fear, but moving on through the face of it. Mm. And it, it, I was validated in being afraid, but not in, in paralyzation. Moving on, it's okay to be afraid, but if but don't let it stop you. To keep moving, keep uh, keep keep moving through it, and uh, that's that's I've used that verse so many or that quote so many times. Awesome, Gary. 
the one message I always tell everyone, because I, I, there's not a day that goes by, I don't have someone reaching out to me who wants to step out and follow their dreams. And I always, I want them to understand this. You're going to fail, but failure is not fatal. And, um, that's huge to me. I think that was the biggest thing when I failed. I don't, looking back now, I don't even know that I failed. I mean, but by the world standards, when I failed, um, at first I thought it was fatal. And then this amazing thing happened. I went to bed and the sun came up the next morning. And like I told you on day 30, the bills came and I was still alive. And, um, I ventured back out from the basement and the sun was shining and I drove across the street cause it was on 20 where I was staying. Actually, I live in the neighborhood now. I was able to buy a home in the neighborhood now that I was living in someone's basement homeless, you know, 14 years ago. And I drove across the street and went to Chick-fil-A and Chick-fil-A tasted like Chick-fil-A and life went on. And so failure sucks, but it's not fatal. And I think too many people are afraid to step out. They live in fear. Again, not to be, you know, the Bible, there's 365 times the Bible says, do not fear. I always say it's one for every day of the year. And um, we, we failure, the fear of failure just keeps people from doing. And you're going to fail. I have done shit that did not work, but it's not fatal. Um, if you can screw it up, I, I've screwed it up, man. I mean, like I, bankruptcy, marriage, uh, kids. Uh, my word, everything. I keep screwing up all the time. So, I mean, like, you know, I just kind of wear it as a badge of honor now. And um, I just want people to go in with the expectations. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to screw it up. And so, um, but we're going to pick our pieces up and move on. So that's my big thing is uh, you're going to fail, and failure is not fatal. So don't allow it to be fatal. It doesn't define you. And as John Maxwell book talks about, fail forward. Yeah. You know, it's awesome. So the one thing I like to do to, uh, I think that we've, gotten away from and i'm sure this a few weeks ago is just the simple thank you so kathy thank you for what you do for the seniors thank you. ken thank you for showing and providing example of following your passion and your dreams and gary thank you for what you do for the community oh thanks for having me thanks today. for having us so everybody out there listening let's remember let's be positive let's be charitable 